It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with yours truly. Right here as we roll on on this holiday Monday. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Hopefully, obviously, you know, having the day off for a lot of you is very nice. It's very enjoyable. The three-day weekend here. Go a little skiing. And a little mountain weekend, whatever you got to do as we uh, move on here midway through January. It's always nice to have a three-day weekend, right? No one will ever scoff at that. But, uh, you know, also important to remember the, uh, the reason for the day. And hopefully, at least, you know, we are closer, getting closer to what Dr. King ultimately uh, dreamed of and having a, a united nation, if you will, moving forward. But anyway, welcome. Happy Monday. We appreciate you starting off your week with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Ray Network. A lot to get into because now we started with 32 teams back in September. Now we sit here with just four remaining. Buccaneers and Packers in the NFC and the AFC, Bills and Chiefs. Arguably four of the best teams playing some of their best football right now. Fitting that the best four teams are left in the NFL. It's going to make a very exciting conference championship weekend next weekend. But we have a lot to get into from this past weekend. As a reminder, we're always coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios with its great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person, Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, or anywhere online at BigItalyPizza.com. Four games, four NFL games over this weekend, and, and man, <laughs> There is just so much to get into, so much to talk about that we definitely don't have enough time here in the next two hours. We will try to squeeze in as much reaction to all these games and all the rumor mills, coaching hirings, potential quarterbacks on the move. This weekend had it all in terms of the rumors, in terms of the hirings. It it is jam-packed, and we will try our best here in the next two hours, like I said, to get as much in as possible. 9.20, we will hit on the finale of Drew Brees, a sad finale. All but, all, you know, all but official at this point that Drew Brees played his last game as a Saint as they were beaten by the Buccaneers 30-20. We'll get into that in 15 minutes. Tyler Dunn, go-along TD, a, just an incredible writer, especially when it comes to features. When he comes to profiling, deep-dive stories in the NFL, no one does it better. Tyler will join us 940 Eastern to recap what it is a wild, wild divisional round weekend and also hit out a few rumors. And should professional owners be held more accountable. We'll discuss that with Ty and also get that at the end of the show because what's going on in Houston right now? We'll talk a lot about the playoff games happening this weekend, but what is going on with the Texans and the reason for it, primarily being their owner, Cal McNair. Man, I'm personally for me, if I was a Texans fan and they end up trading Sean Watson, I would be sick to my stomach. That per- maybe would be enough to drive me away, to be honest. So we'll get into that with, with Ty and then again, we'll do that to end the show at 1040. And I want to at least react to the, the Bills-Ravens game at the top of the second hour, 10 o'clock Eastern. But in the way of, should the Ravens pay Lamar Jackson? There's a story before the game that they were thinking about, you know, and entertaining the idea of extending Lamar Jackson, giving him an extension this offseason. Well, does Saturday night's game change that in your mind? We will discuss. And the Packers 
Do the Buccaneers have any shot at slowing down the Packers? We'll get into that as well. But I do want to start off with, at least to me, in my mind, the most impressive performance of the weekend. The most, not in terms of outcome, but in terms of how we got here, the most unexpected result of the weekend. A game that you know, I thought at least had potential to be close with the way the Browns you know, run the ball, with the way their strategies can get after the quarterback of Miles Garrett. I thought they'd pose some sort of fight, but not like we saw. Because I want to start with how the Chiefs, without the best player on the planet for a quarter and a half, were still able to get past Cleveland and advance to the AFC title game for the third consecutive year. Because, man, I know you watching that, I was watching that, could not believe what we were seeing. Chiefs won 22-17. And to me, at least, the main take would come out of this game. Prove just how hard it is to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And obviously, that's, a, that's an obvious statement, right? But even, we knew how hard it was when they were fully healthy, or when they had Patrick Holmes, when they had Tyreek Kill, when they had Travis Kelly, when they had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Sammy Watkins, when their offensive line was healthy. Their offense is almost impossible to stop when everyone is there. But they have injuries on the offensive line. Clyde Edwards-Alaire did not play uh, in yesterday's game. And obviously, as we know, biggest story of the weekend, Patrick Holmes goes down, concussion protocol after he was tackled midway through the third quarter, do not return. And instead, Chad Henney, a man that I'm sure a lot of you forgot was even in the league, Chad Henney. Anything is possible. And this guy steps up and delivers a victory for Kansas City. Because it wasn't just him coming in, kind of just taking the air out of the ball and just getting lucky and winning. He, along with Andy Reid, and along with that defense, won the game for the Chiefs. And even when you knock out the best player on the planet, even when Patrick Holmes is out for a quarter and a half in a close game, not a blowout, but a game that, hey, Cleveland scores a touchdown. They're only down by five points with a lot of time to go. Chiefs still found a way to win. I- incredible. And honestly, impressive. Because I'll ask you this, right? How many teams in the NFL, honestly, in the playoffs, if their best player, specifically if it's their quarterback, if they go down, how many of them are still winning that game? You want to reference, you know, when Nick Foles did stepping in for Carson Wentz, winning a Super Bowl back in 2017. Personally, I'd argue that, hey, you know, he had some time in the regular season to start. It's a little bit different when at least you know you're going to be the starter going in compared to Chad Henney, who woke up, I'm sure, Sunday morning not thinking his services will be needed at all. If anything, he'll come and take a few knees if this game got out of hand. And instead, as we know, one speed option, one tackle, all of a sudden now Chad Henney, not only in the game, he is in the game to try to win the game for Kansas City. Keep their season going. A 14-2 year that could potentially be thrown away because of one hit. That's what impressed me the most. Because despite having the best player in all of the NFL on your team, right, and, and it's easy. When you have Patrick Mahomes, it is easy to rely on him to win, to win you games. It's easy to put a lot of the credit on Mahomes for the Chiefs being so successful. But what they showed you yesterday, what Andy Reid showed you yesterday, what Chad Henney even showed you yesterday, and what that defense showed you yesterday is that, hey, this team isn't about one player. As, as cliche as that sounds, this roster is so deep up and down that's sure. Mahomes gets a lot of the credit. The flashy plays that he has are brilliant. The stats he put up, he puts up are mind-boggling. But even with that said, there is so much around him that props him up that makes him be able to be the best player in the NFL. 
So I couldn't believe as soon as he goes down, the air out of the balloon wasn't, you know, let out, which I, I feel like is a very natural reaction. Hey, the best player in the world goes out. Oh, crap. We're in big trouble here. Travis Kelsey, I want to play this cover because after the game, he talked about basically how they still had confidence in Chad Henney, and basically they didn't miss a beat, which to me is impressive. Nothing changed, man. Nothing changed. Chad came in and uh, and uplifted us. We uplifted him, and we just rallied together, man. And that's what this team did, offensively, defensively, special teams. Um, we just got we circled the wagon and got a little bit tighter as a group, and uh, and and found a way to win against a good football team. I mean, honestly, to say nothing changed when you're when the best player in your team, when the best player in the league, goes down. Honestly, that's credit to again the entire team. It, it, it's just, it, it to me, is just mind-boggling. Because you think, okay, I thought personally, I've said it for a while now, I thought the Chiefs are going to repeat as Super Bowl champions. When they're healthy, when things are clicking, there's no one that can beat them personally. And now, you had an opportunity as the Browns, as, as a team in the AFC, the door was open for you to knock them out. A door was open for you to prevent the Chiefs from going to back-to-back Super Bowls in the AFC and preventing them from winning back-to-back Super Bowls in the MVP. But Andy Reid, this defense, and Chad Henney said, no way. And look, I'll be honest. I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. When Chad Henney throws that interception in the end zone, when he throws a deep ball, and he threw it so confident, like, wow, this guy must be wide open. And yeah, the guy he was throwing to was wide open. The only issue is he wore a Cleveland Browns jersey. When he threw the interception, honestly, I thought, okay, that's it. That's it. Great year, Kansas City, 14-2. and two. When Mahomes was in for the first two and a half quarters, his offense was looking good. They're moving the ball up and down the field. They had this game won. But, you know, how many teams are truly going to win when your best player goes out and you need a backup to step up in a big spot here? I truly thought the interception, once that was thrown, that was it. Browns had the momentum. They were starting to move the ball on offense. I thought, okay, nice year. Can't blame him. I mean, hey, Patrick Holmes goes down. Who's going to be mad at the Chiefs? Who can honestly say, hey, you should have won that game? Honestly. It's all right. You know, nothing to feel bad about. We'll come back next year. Hope Mahomes doesn't get hurt and, and you'll be back and ready to go. But instead, Andy Reid, this defense took, up, took, uh, took control, I should say, stepped up and said, no way. Not this year. So impressively, as you just heard Travis Kelsey say, team didn't miss a beat. That was even true when Chad Haney throws the interception, because I'll be honest. I'd have a tough time if I was a, a member of that defense watching that pick. And again, that was just an awful pick where I don't even know where he was throwing the ball to. A lot of Browns in coverage, not a lot of Chiefs in the area. Basically just threw up a prayer. And you throw an interception. Uh, honestly, if I'm on the defense, I'm like, oh boy, we're in trouble. But they didn't hang their head. And so they stepped up. To their credit, they got the Browns off the field. And once they got that stop with just over four minutes left, honestly, Andy Reid went to the lab and showed why he, as a head coach, is the best closer in the NFL. Said this after, I believe it was the Dolphins game earlier this year. The Chiefs are the best closing team in the NFL. If you give them the ball four minutes left to go, three minutes left to go, in a kill-the-clock situation right, where they are ahead by a field goal, a touchdown, whatever it is, and they just basically don't want to give the ball back to their team. They are so good and so talented in those situations of killing the clock, of running a four-minute offense, of bleeding three minutes off the clock, that you don't get the ball back. 
You know, when it almost gets to the point where, where there's about five or so minutes left and less, you got to think about four-down territory no matter really where it is on the field because the Chiefs almost every single time execute the four-minute offense and run out the clock. In this situation, again, 4.09 left. You're up by five. Chiefs, uh, uh, the Browns punt. like, all right, no big deal. Three and out. Chad Henney's a quarterback. I mean, they're probably going to run the ball three times. I mean, honestly, how, how many coaches in the NFL with your backup quarterback in the game who just threw an awful interception the drive before when you are up by five? How many of them are handing the ball off three times, maybe praying for you know one of those runs to break free for a first down, but playing ultra-conservative, playing not to lose, and basically saying, hey, the defense – you got to get us one more stop here. You got to go win us the game. Because honestly, we are not going to put the ball in Chad Henney's hands to win the game. Patrick Holmes, sure, because they throw the ball a ton in that four-minute four offense, which makes them so hard to get off the field. Because just when you think most teams run the ball to be uh, conservative, that's when Andy Reid and the Chiefs turn on their aggressiveness. They throw the ball. They trust Mahomes. They trust Kelsey. They trust Hill. And that trust pays off. But honestly, if you're Andy Reid, are you honestly trusting Chad Henney? I'm sure as hell not. So I thought for sure, all right, run the ball three times. Probably, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, punt the ball, and then hope you can get a, a defensive stand here to go win you the game. But Chad Henney, I mean, Andy Reid, no way. He threw the ball three times in that sequence. Three times with Chad Henney. In- insanity. And to me, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the fourth down call in a second here. But equally as impressive as the fourth down call was the play before it. Third and 14, again, you know, knowing the situation you have, Chad Henning, the drive before, throws an interception. It is third and 14, right before the two-minute warning. Incomplete pass, you give the uh, Browns basically a free, for, uh, free timeout right before the two-minute warning. Or right after the two-minute warning, I should say. Excuse me. Instead, Third and 14, most coaches hand it off, play conservative. Chad Henney is dropping back to throw the ball. And obviously, we'll talk about the scramble. But don't forget, the scramble was set up because they dropped back to throw the ball. Andy Reid on third and 14 was throwing to get the first down. It wasn't a designed run. There wasn't a, a screen pass there where it's like catch the ball, get the ball out of your hands quickly, and just hope to get a first down. This was dropping back. I'm looking to throw the ball 15 yards, get a first down, and end it. Wasn't there, as we know, obviously, Henny scrambles around, gets 13 yards, sets up the fourth and one. And not only at fourth and one, because Andy Reid showed show his confidence. He shows off his incredible play calling. Play call was unbelievable, and we've seen that play before. But how about his confidence? How about the stones on Andy Reid to go for it on fourth down? In your own end, Clock running with a backup quarterback in. He says, you know what? We're good. This is what we want. We'll put the ball in our backup quarterback's hands. We will have our season rest on Chad Henney's shoulders. I mean, (laughs) the testicular fortitude it took from Andy Reid, I'll say this. I don't have the stones to do it. I would not have the cojones to do it. And sitting there watching the clock bleed, I thought, no way they're going to snap the ball. Sit here, maybe take a delay game, just bleed the clock down, and as soon as that ball snapped, my eyes, my eyes bugged out of my head, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it, but hey, 
Guess what happened? The aggressiveness paid off. They get the first down. Now they're moving on. Speaking of closing out the game, speaking of getting that first down, he's going to read postgame, talking about his, his, his team and how proud he is of them closing it out with four minutes to go. The defensive stand at the end was, was huge. Chad Henney's run was huge. Um, and then his, obviously his couple of throws there toward the end were, were also big. Obviously, look, right? I mean, we just talked about defense getting a huge stop. Chad Henney making a few throws at the end to salt the game away. And even more impressive, I'll drop a stat here for you from the live sports bureau that made Andy Reid's fourth and one call even that much more impressive. So according to Elias, this was the first fourth down conversion since 1970 that came in a team's own territory while leading in the final five minutes of the game. Think about that. Since the NFL merger back in 1970, this was the first fourth down conversion when it came in a team's own end who was leading the game with under five minutes to go. Nobody does that. They didn't have the number, but I don't even know how many times teams went for it. Forget, you know, being the first one to convert. I bet you it's probably not even five attempts. Historically, it is a position that we have never seen many teams go for at all. And to Andy Reid's credit, he was aggressive. He believed in his team. And he believed even in a guy in Chad Henney, a backup quarterback, to get the job done. And those guys paid off Andy Reid's belief. So, look, I don't want to kind of throw cliches at you. But at least to me, one of my biggest takeaways is that this game truly showed how football is truly a team game. Best player on the planet goes out. Chiefs are still able to win the game. Mahomes is amazing. I'm not trying to take anything away from his success. But there's a lot going into Mahomes' success outside of his just pure talent. It's Andy Reid's play calling. It's the skill positions around him. There's a ton of skill on that offense. It's the defense. Bend but don't break. But when they need a big stop, getting that big stop in the big moment. So coming out of this game, to me, in my mind, when Patrick Holmes went out midway through the third quarter, that was the best opportunity for anyone in the AFC and maybe anyone in football to prevent the Chiefs from going to back-to-back Super Bowls. That was the, that was the door right there, right? That was the window. That was the chance. Browns couldn't do it. To me, assuming Patrick Holmes is healthy and will start next week, and by all reports, at least Jay Glazer after the game, reported that Mahomes should be good to go. It was more of a, of a whiplash situation than an actual concussion, if you will. That was the best opportunity for anyone in the NFL to prevent the Chiefs from going to back-to-back Super Bowls. Winning back-to-back Super Bowls couldn't do it. And to me, they're, they're going to go on their way. They survived the biggest test thrown their way, and I think the Chiefs will only be better for it going forward. So I'm curious your thoughts. Coming out of this game, right? Chiefs advanced to the AFC title game. Was that the best shot of any team to beat the Chiefs? Can the Bills beat Kansas City? Or are the Chiefs going to go to back-to-back Super Bowls now? For me, that was it. Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl, and I still think they're going to win the Super Bowl. The NFL had their opportunity. Quarter and a half, no Patrick Holmes couldn't get it done. 
So get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Also tweet me directly at Ryan Hickey Show. Was this the NFL's best shot at eliminating the Chiefs here in 2020? What's your belief in the Bills? Can they go into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs? Again, comment on the live stream on Facebook. You can tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio. Tweet me directly at Ryan Hickey Show. When we come back, a sad, sad finale for Drew Brees. Should we be surprised, though? I'll give you my answer next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Wow, that was loud. My apologies. My apologies. But as you hear, we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show. Feel a little sleepy on this Monday morning. I think that music just woke you up. I know it woke me up. Even with one coffee, I mean, wow, that was, uh, whew, that was jarring. So my apologies with that. We are still trying to uh, perfect the music, if you will. Um, so I didn't mean to blow out your eardrums. Hopefully it didn't scare you if uh, you were listening and, you know, maybe woke the whole house up or, whew. All right. So now that we have regrouped, we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Run Eric on this Monday morning. A gorgeous Monday morning, especially for January. We've been pretty lucky so far with this weather. Hopefully it is nice wherever you are as well, and we appreciate you starting off the week with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The can- or I should say this. The NFL, right? Browns, Bills, Buccaneers, Packers. Obviously all fighting for the Super Bowl. To me, watching what happened yesterday, Patrick Holmes going out midway through the third quarter, having to finish the game, the final quarter and a half, without the best player on the planet. That was the entire NFL's best shot at preventing the Chiefs from going to back-to-back Super Bowls for preventing them from winning back-to-back Super Bowls. Browns played tough, had their shot, weren't able to come through, and for me at least, I don't see now this team losing after that. And if you can win with Chad Henney, and you can win with Chad Henney throwing the ball in massive spots, including fourth and one in your own territory, less than two minutes ago where you turn the ball over, Browns have a short field touchdown, wins the game. Forget ties the game, wins the game. The stones it took for Andy Reid to call that, and not only that, the, the belief, the execution of Chad Haney to get the job done here, incredible. So at least for me, that was the biggest opportunity the NFL had to knock the Chiefs out. Didn't do so. They'll move on. I, I believe it sounds like from all reports, so far early on, Patrick Holmes will play. Obviously, it's a long week, a long way to go. At least Jay Glazer, after the game, made it sound like it was pretty positive. So we'll see. But at least for me, that was a shot. That was a chance. Chiefs still prevail. And I don't think that anyone's going to knock them off after that. So I want to start. We'll, we'll get your Chiefs thoughts as well throughout the show. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show also on Twitter, if you will. But I do want to transition quickly before we get to Tyler Dunn in 10 minutes. A sad finale in New Orleans. Buccaneers, as we know, knock off the Chiefs last night, 30-20. to 20, Revenge their two um, regular season losses to New Orleans. And in doing so, end Drew Brees' career most likely with a tough, tough playoff loss. And I'll be honest, coming out of this game, my biggest takeaway, my biggest thought, 
an obvious one. Again, similar to the Chiefs. I apologize, but sometimes the obvious ones are the right ones. This game highlighted on both sides, but obviously specifically more with Drew Brees, just how quickly play can, uh, play can slip in the NFL. How quickly your talent can just fall right off the table. Age catches up to everyone in the NFL. Well, age catches up to everyone in the world, honestly, right? Father Tom is undefeated. But we saw it on full display yesterday with Drew Brees. Now, I hope the Buccaneers, obviously, you know, super pumped up, super happy you won the game. Take note. Keep that in the back of your mind, the way Drew Brees played, how he eviscerated you in week number nine, and how he basically gifted you that win last night. Take notice, because uh, Tom Brady's coming back next year. He'll be 44. Just Maybe have a, you know, a future backup plan just in case next year, because you see how quickly play can slide and how quick it can happen. Neither quarterback played particularly well yesterday. But again, because it's Drew Brees' last game, we'll focus more on Drew and his play. He finished out the game 19-34, just 134 yards passing, one touchdown, three interceptions. 134 yards, the lowest amount of yards thrown in a game that he's finished. He had less than that against the 49ers, but he went out at halftime with that rib injury. But again, in terms of playing a full game, this was the lowest amount of yards he played. Now, the question is, we assume, now we'll get this out of the way first. We assume that this is Drew Brees' last game. Nothing official. He's never actually come out and officially said, I'm retiring. He was asked that post-game. Here's Drew Brees' answer to that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer this this question one time, and that is that I'm going to give myself an opportunity to, uh, to you know, think about the season, think about a lot of things, just like I did last year, and um, make a decision. So, nothing official. He will take time to make a decision in, in the post in the offseason, I should say, and decide whether he wants to come back for another year. Now, I don't think Drew Brees is going to come back. I don't think the Saints expect Drew Brees to come back. And I honestly, I hope for Drew Brees' sake that he doesn't come back. I understand this is a sad way to go out. Losing at home for the third straight year in the playoffs. Throwing three interceptions against, you know, a team that you have owned in the regular season, especially this year. Losing to a guy who, with whose quarterback is even older than you. But let's be honest here for a second. Drew Brees had an amazing career. Not taking anything away from that. But this ending that we saw last night, it's been building for a few years now. It really has. I've said this before, and I want to rehash it here quickly. Going back to 2018 is kind of when I first saw this decline coming. By 2018, Drew Brees had an electric, a phenomenal first 11 games of the regular season. 285 passing yards per game, 2.6 touchdowns per game. Drew Brees threw the first 11 games of 2018, so just two years ago. But those last four games of the regular season, his play dropped. 214 yards per game he averaged, 0.75 touchdowns. So 285 yards per game the first 11 games, passing per game, dropped to 214. 2.6 2.6 touchdowns per game dropped to 0.75. And as we know, that play carried over into the playoffs. 20 points for the Eagles. One Alshon Jeffrey dropped, passed away. For maybe Nick Foles going back to the uh, NFC title game. 23 points versus the Rams. Obviously, the missed pass interference call is the big talking point there. But don't forget, Drew Brees threw an interception over time that helped put the Rams in position to win that game. All right. Maybe just ran out of gas. One, you know, a one-off. Comes back, 2019, misses five games because of a thumb injury. 
That almost gave him some, some new life, some fresh blood. Ending the regular season strong. But what happened in the playoffs, as we know, his play struggled again, 208 yards, passing against the Vikings last year. One touchdown, one reception. As the Saints had their season end in the wild card round to Kirk Cousins in a sold-out, raucous environment at the Superdome. Drew Brees didn't play well, Saints lost. So I tried this year, at least the warning signs, at least for me, were there. The postseason struggles were real. And after week two, after week number two against the Raiders, in which they lost on Monday Night Football, I tried to warn you. This play from Drew Brees wasn't going to get them to the Super Bowl. He refused to push the ball down the field back in week number two. And obviously, as you know, as you watched last night, that inability or unwillingness or both to throw the ball down the field is what really hurt the Saints offense yesterday. And there was zero threat of a pass being thrown over 15 yards. And guess what happened? What did we see yesterday? Every single Buccaneers defender was within five yards of the line of scrimmage. They gave these wide receivers no breathing room. They struggled to go open in part because the, these DBs were all over them. Even Michael Thomas. Ironically enough, his Twitter handle, at can't guard Mike. Well, guess what? He was guarded yesterday. No receptions. Goose egg. He had as many catches as me and you did yesterday on four targets. Why? He had no breathing room to start. Bucks were all over him from the jump. No threat of the deep ball. Got them intimidated, and they pushed him around. They got in his face. They were double covering him. They, they gave him no room forever, or really n- no margin at all. He was shut out. One of the best wide receivers, a guy who he claims can't be guarded by anyone, was guarded indeed. So this is the danger that the Saints had this season when they put all their eggs in the Drew Brees basket. Because guess what? When Father Time catches up, and he's been showing some signs, he's been giving the Saints some warning signs in 2018 and 2019. Still ran it back. They had Jameis Winston, which I thought, okay, if you want to win a Super Bowl, maybe Jameis, you know, putting Jameis in would have been a better option. Did not do that. And as you see, Father Time is undefeated. Very few times that Father Time takes uh, Father Time takes over and it actually works out. With Peyton Manning, it worked out. Now, looking back, you talk about the luck that had to happen and having an historically great defense carry you through the regular season, through the playoffs, through the Super Bowl. You need to have again an historically elite unit just to have a chance to outduel Father Time. I actually went back last night and looked at Peyton Manning's final stats uh, from his final year. I couldn't believe it. This is shocking to me. Now, again, I feel like we forget about this a lot because the lasting image we have of Peyton Manning's final year is him raising the Lombardi Trophy. So that obviously kind of wipes away any bad image you have. But in that regular season, Peyton Manning threw nine touchdowns, 17 interceptions. A 9-17 to 17 touchdown interception ratio. That, mind-blowing. I totally forgot, honestly. But again, because the last thing image we have is him raising the Lombardi Trophy. It's easy to forget. That is an example when you beat Father Time, those are few and far between. So I get it as a competitor. It's hard to hang it up 
it's hard to admit that you just aren't good enough anymore. But at the same time, you know what that does? That leads to performances like we watched last night. Because it was tough to watch Drew Brees. It really was. I hope for his sake that he hangs it up. Hope for the Saints' sake he hangs it up. Because there's no way he can run this back. An incredibly great career. Congratulate Drew on all his success. First ballot Hall of Famer. One of the best to ever do it without a doubt. No question. It's a fortune for him. The end came in ugly fashion on a national stage. So when we come back, I do want to talk this about a little more with Tower Dunn. GoLongTD.com, an incredibly talented, gifted NFL writer and reporter. We'll discuss, was this the last we've seen of Drew Brees? And if you want to get a little nuts here, should Sean Payton maybe have done what's best for the team? Should he have put Jameis Winston in? Plus, we'll react to all the rest of the divisional round games as well. We'll do that with Tyler Dunn next. And it's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. An incredible weekend of football here as we just witnessed four incredibly great divisional games going on. As we know now, the Chiefs advance, the Bills advance for an incredible Josh Allen, Patrick Holmes matchup. On the other side, the NFC, an old guard, if you will, right? Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Incredibly uh, four entertaining games on the field. A lot of coaching news, a lot of quarterback drama off the field. And jam-packed weekend we had this past weekend. So no better person to talk about it all than with Tyler Dunn. Go Long NFL writer. You can find his website, golongtd.com. You can find all his tremendous work and opinions on Twitter at Ty Dunn, Dunn spelled D-U-N-N-E. Tyler, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes here. After watching that just incredibly entertaining uh, weekend, I mean, has your head kind of settled down at all and have all the thoughts kind of finally settled in? Because I feel like every time we watch something incredible, Boom, another big uh, breaking news happens. Boom, another incredible matchup happens. It was just, it was one of the best weekends I think we've had here in a while. It was, it was. This is, this is probably my favorite football weekend of the year. I mean, you just, you get two games on Saturday, two on Sunday, just a ton of talent, a ton of great quarterback play. You know, and it wasn't even, you know, Saturday, the, the Bills-Ravens game, that was the one I was really looking forward to. And to be honest, it, it really wasn't that great of a game right? <laughs> with all the wind and the doinks and, uh, you know, Lamar getting shut down and Allen throwing every play. I mean, it was kind of ugly there for a little while. Uh, but, you know, it, it picked up a little bit toward the end with that, with that pick six and little old Sunday was great. I mean, that did not disappoint. What about the drama? You know, right when you're ready to go to Lowe's or Home Depot there on Sunday, and you think the Chiefs <laughs> got this locked up. And, I mean, no lie. I was just, I was sitting with my wife. I'm like, ah, you know, I could probably go to Lowe's and get some stuff. And he's kind of watching the game. He's like, you oh, know, I better, better stay right here. <laughs> this isn't over right. um, because of the you know, concussion protocol, whatever's going on there. But, uh, yeah, Andy Reid, what can you say, man? I mean, that to me is the takeaway uh, of, of the weekend, the fact that the Browns punted their season away and Andy Reid went for it on fourth and short with a backup quarterback throwing the ball, risking everything. This is not the Andy Reid of – Philadelphia. I mean, his evolution as a head coach uh, is just remarkable. He's the best in the NFL, and he might be the most important person left in the tournament, really. Couldn't agree more. Let's start right there, Tyler, because like you just said, I mean, 
the transformation he has from Mr. Conservative doesn't want, you know, he coaches to lose the game in Philly. Now, all of a sudden, he's Mr. Aggressive. He, he's Mr. Forward-thinking, Mr. Analytics when it comes to the mm -hmm. Chiefs. I mean, even a live sports bureau, this stat blew my mind. I saw it on SportsCenter last night. Since 1970, this was the first conversion when a team was leading in the final five minutes of, game, uh, five minutes of the game when they went for it in their own end. And it's like, I don't even know. They didn't say how many conversions at least were attempted, but at least to have, to have that first conversion in almost 50 years of football, I mean, that has to be the gutsiest fourth down call and not to be a prison of the moment, but is, it, that, is that the gutsiest fourth down call maybe we've ever seen? It's, it's definitely one of the most gutsiest that I, I can remember watching this game. And, you know, my mind just went back to Green Bay, Seattle, 2014 NFC Championship game. I was covering that, that game at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel at the time. And, and what did Mike McCarthy do in the first half? He kicked field goals at the one-yard line twice. He punted on fourth and inches at the 48. He ran the ball three times, up 19-7 to seven with four minutes left. I mean, it's no coincidence that they lost that game. I mean, if you coach scared, you're going to play scared. And they gave that game away, and they had no business giving it away. So I, I really think that Andy Reid just kind of understands that, and he knows that when you make decisions like this, it, it kind of it feeds into the energy of your entire team. It, 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 decisions like that make your team. Um, and that's why the Chiefs are the Chiefs. That's why Mahomes is Mahomes, Reid is Reid, and – and as long as Mahomes is healthy, I, I don't know how anybody really beats this team. It's, I mean, Buffalo's been great. Um, but at Arrowhead, when you're coaching this way and you've got Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> damn, I don't, I don't know. I'm not betting against that. That leads to my next question. Perfect. just going to ask because, I mean, I'm not sure what your feelings were preseason, but with the Chiefs running basically the entire team back from last year, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. I picked them to win the Super Bowl. And then, like you said, you watch them in this game that, you know, I thought they, they would win convincingly. And all of a sudden, like I said, Patrick Holmes goes down. And now you have Chad Henney for a quarter and a half in a close game. Was this the best chance of anyone left in the NFL to basically prevent the Chiefs from going to back-to-back -back Super Bowls, let alone winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls? Was the moment right there when Patrick Holmes goes out in that quarter and a half, was that the window of opportunity for the rest of the NFL to ramp Kansas City from going to back-to-back -back and repeating as champions? You know, I, I won't go that far quite yet. I, I definitely agree. Like, there's no better player on the planet. And it's like, you know, if you have a chance to slay the dragon, <laughs> you better do it and not punt on fourth and nine. But, you know, I still watching that, that, that Bucks saints game with Tom Brady and all those weapons. And, I mean, you've got a quarterback who's on a mission there all the time. And then Aaron Rodgers, I mean, obviously he'll probably win MVP. All the weapons that they have in Green Bay, you know, once upon a time, everybody was crying that they didn't have any weapons. <laughs> yeah. I, I, maybe it's not time to completely uh, dismiss the Bills. I mean, they've, they've got something special brewing. They make a big play in a big moment. So I, I'm with you. I think it's the Chiefs. I think it's Mahomes. I think they win it all. But I don't think it's going to be a landslide. I, I think that that's what's going to make uh, championship weekend and the Super Bowl just, just wild to watch. You've got so many great quarterbacks. You've got the old guard, like you said. You've got the two young guns coming up, and, and anything can happen, really. I, absolutely anything can happen right now. I, I agree. It is wide open. I'm curious. We're talking to Tyler Dunn. GoLongTD.com is where you can find all his tremendous work, incredible features, a great, gifted, and talented NFL writer. You just mentioned the Bills there, Tyler. I'm curious because right in the two games, at least in the playoffs, and just looking at their playoff performance so far, 
first game, you know, Josh Allen played well. The offense won the game. Their defense was shredded by Phil Rivers and the Colts. But they, get, you know, they made enough plays in the end to get it done. As you mentioned on Saturday night, a lot of hype. I thought the Ravens, honestly, were going to go in there and win. And just a very sloppy performance. Maybe the wind had a lot to do with that on both sides as we saw a low-scoring 17-3 game. But again, is the, you know, the defense bailed out Buffalo. The offense struggled with Josh Allen scoring just 10 points. I'm curious. So seeing two games and seeing one game where the offense plays well, the defense struggles, the next game the defense plays well, the offense struggles, is that a cause for maybe concern that the Bills, you know, can't put a, a complete game together? Or, you know, they're 2-0 in games where they haven't played well. Is that a, you know, a source of optimism, if you will, that, hey, they're still winning games and they haven't even played their best football yet? You know, watching this team, Ryan, it's, it, it, it's just wild how they're winning in just different ways every week. It's it's and they don't you know remember they don't even have a running game there's no <laughs> yeah. semblance of a running game at this point yep. so that that's why Brian Brian Dayball is literally throwing every single play I mean it was crazy I mean we never seen anything like that in a playoff game um, but it's different ways I mean it, it, it it's Stefan Diggs one week it's Cole Beasley another week it's John Brown it's Isaiah McKenzie it's uh, Devin Singletary it's defensively Taron Johnson. I mean, he had the pick six against Pittsburgh earlier this year, and obviously the pick six there against Baltimore completely changed that game. Jerry Hughes, the longest tenured Bill, um, got it. I mean, they traded for him way back in 2013. Uh, you know, it was kind of a washout of a first-round pick by Indianapolis. It's, oh, yeah. As a Colts fan, I remember that well. I can't believe the success. Yeah. Credit to the Bills. They, they turned Calvin him around. Shepard, yeah. It's uh, – it's just crazy. I mean, it's, it's, they win in different ways. They can win a low-scoring game and, and hold Lamar Jackson to, to three points. They can win a high-scoring game and, and just completely outscore you know, Russell Wilson when, when Russ was really at his peak earlier in the year. It's, they just adapt and, and, and know what kind of game they have to play in that moment. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what gives me comp- – you know, I'm not going to just write them off, I guess, at Arrowhead. I think that they could, they can go in there and not and not stop Patrick Mahomes. Nobody can, but they could at least hang in there with them because we've seen their offense go drive for drive with teams. And look, Kansas City's secondary is not going to be nearly as good as Baltimore's secondary. Marlon Humphrey took Cole Beasley out of the game. Um, they, they they're 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 nasty. They get after you. Uh, I I think that it, it could be a little bit of a change there. Where hey, if they want to throw every play against the Chiefs, they're probably going to have a lot more success yeah, than they did against point. Baltimore. Um, and, and Sean McDermott just is uh, his finger on the pulse of this team at all times. It's, it's going to be just a fascinating game to watch. At Ty Dunn is where you can find all of Tyler's work. Dunn spelled D-U-N-N-E. So in that game on the flip side, right? I, we see Lamar Jackson struggle. He's 1-3 and three now in the playoffs. A lot of you know, playoff narratives kind of circling around Lamar. I'm curious because you know, heading into this game, at least, there were some rumors, there were some ports that, hey, the Ravens are, gonna, are thinking about extending Lamar Jackson this offseason. It, out of that game, is there any pause in your mind as the Ravens, whether they should extend him or not? Or do you think, hey, listen, he won an MVP. He's still, you know, 31-10, and 10, I believe is his regular season record or just over record when he starts a game for the Ravens. Has he done enough already to deserve a, an extension similar to maybe a Deshaun Watson? Or coming out of that game, do you have pause that, hey, maybe we can't trust Lamar going forward to be our franchise guy the next five years? Love Lamar Jackson. Loved his last month, month and a half of the season. He was unstoppable. I, I think he can win this way because we just haven't seen a quarterback with 4-2 speed just unleashed in all these different creative ways. But I don't know how you can watch that game against Buffalo and not have reservations about paying him north of 30-35 mil a year. Like, this is three years in a row now where a team in the playoffs forced him to pass and he couldn't do it. Uh, it was ugly. 
I mean, it was really ugly. They they they, they couldn't finish drives. They, they couldn't get anything going with him, even as a runner. You know, they bottled him up. Their game plan just just solved Lamar Jackson, it seems. So uh, I think that if you're the Ravens, you do everything you can to, to wait. I mean, you don't really have a plan B. It's not like you just give up on the guy. I mean, he did win the MVP, and he did have a remarkable December this season. Uh, I, I just don't know if you're in a rush to give him that Deshaun Watson money, that Patrick Mahomes money. Um, I think the Bills, they're, they're probably itching to, to pay Allen and lock him up where, where Baltimore, yeah, it, you kind of know what, what, what he is at this point, and you have to wonder, like, is it even possible for him to develop more as a passer? I think what they'll probably do if they do something bold is go a different direction uh, schematically and maybe find a new coordinator, you know, as, okay. as great as Greg Roman has been there. Like um, Steve Smith was, was pretty scathing in his criticism. He played for <laughs> the Ravens. I mean, he knows guys in that offense and basically said like, this is an elementary simplistic bland scheme um, for, for route combinations. I mean, maybe you just try to find a, a different coordinator who's, who's going to find a way to, use Lamar and find a way to take this passing game to the next level. You just decide, like, we're all in on Lamar <laughs> to the point of not paying him that quite yet. You get him a new receiver. You get him a new coordinator. You, you do all this stuff. I'm not going to say it's going to work because at the end of the day, if you don't have the quarterback, you don't have the quarterback. But I think you do have to try something else different around him before you just give him all that money. I don't think that you can just do that right now. We saw Josh Allen's transformation, right, from the first two years without Stephon Diggs to this year. I mean, his numbers go from bottom of the league in terms of completion percentage, quarterback rating, to top of the league. Oh, in one offseason, you know, you can contribute a lot of that, not only his maturity, but also Stephon Diggs being that safety blanket, being that automatic, you know, basically receiver that you throw in the ball, he'll catch it more times than not. Is that, I don't want to oversimplify Lamar Jackson's struggles, because you're right, there, there's a lot more there that's on him, not just, you know, the offense. Is it possible that we could see a similar jump for Lamar if they were to get now? Obviously, this is easier said than done. I don't know if Julio Jones is available, even even if Allen Robinson is good enough as a receiver to kind of be that Stephon Diggs type receiver to make that change. Is it as simple as just basically trying to get a bona fide number one receiver to maybe change Lamar's ways, or is it you know more than that where you have more concerns than just one stud receiver changing the offense? Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely would do that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean. You're in at this point if you're Baltimore. I, I don't think you're just going to like start over a quarterback this offseason. So I think at the very least, you, you try to get him another weapon and, and see if that works. I don't know if it's going to work. Um, it's the whole chicken or the egg thing, right? right. Like, does a does a stud receiver make your quarterback better, or does your quarterback have to elevate everybody around him? And I'll be honest, like when the Bills trade went down with Stephon Diggs, you know, I was talking to people around the league at the time too. I, I didn't know if this was going to work. I really wasn't sure if it was going to work. And I think a lot of scouts had the same belief. I mean, this is a quarterback who was 32nd in the league in completion percentage, dead last, back-to-back seasons. Mm-hmm. We've been told forever that you can't improve accuracy. I mean, and that's kind of just part of who you are. And he did. He worked at it. He got better. And he absolutely has elevated everybody around him. That The Stephon Dix trade, I mean, it's maybe the best in franchise history. It's right up there. So it, it can happen. And I think – the fact that Lamar Jackson is special and he's got these gifts. I mean, I'm I'm the most pro-Lamar Jackson guy you'll find in the business. I, I love him. I, I just love everything he can do. But you still don't know the answer to that question. Like, if you get him a stud receiver, which they should do, you know, they should try to because you're in at this point, 
Um, I, do, I still don't know if it's going to work because we've just seen him unable to hit open receivers in playoff moments, and we've seen teams dare him to win through the air, and he hasn't been able to do it. So to answer your question, yeah, they, they should do it. Um, I think they should wait on the contract, get him some weapons, see if that works, but I still don't know if it's going to work. I know. It's, it's, I mean, it was maybe arguably the worst timing ever for Lamar Jackson to probably have his, the worst game of his career in, in a spot like that is it's going to put the Ravens, like you said, in a precarious situation this summer or this off season as well. It's going to be, Oh man, I, I don't envy, uh, don't envy the Ravens at all. We're talking with Tyler Dunn, go long TD is where you could find all his great work. So Tyler, we're speaking of another quarterback who had their struggles in the postseason, And now unfortunately last night was Drew Brees. Is this the last we see of Drew Brees? I think so. Um, it sure seemed like it. He was pretty emotional. Yeah, I think we also had a conversation yeah, with Tom Brady on the field as well with their families. And it just it just feels like he knows it's time to walk away. I mean, he is no doubt a top 10, maybe a top six or seven quarterback of all time. He's going to have all these records that will probably be broken by Brady or who, know, who knows who's next, Mahomes one day. Um, but it, it, it's just reached that point. He's the weakness on the team. It's crazy to say mm-hmm. he is undoubtedly the biggest weakness on the New Orleans Saints. I think the Saints would like to move on gracefully as well. I mean, I think that it sounds like the Steelers are going to keep rolling with Ben Roethlisberger, but I really thought that they were going to get to that point themselves, that it, it's in the best interest of the organization to go a different direction. I mean, it's not easy to have that conversation, but it seems like the Saints and Drew Brees can have that conversation, or maybe the Steelers aren't quite there yet, <laughs> just because Brees maybe has – that self-awareness to kind of see, you know what, I just don't have that fastball anymore. And um, done a lot in this game, got my health. I just tried playing with all these broken ribs. That was a risk in itself. You know, let's let, let's walk away. I, I I guess I'd be surprised if he kept going. I'd agree with you. And admittedly, this next question is, I think it's easier for me to say, right? Sitting here in New York, I'm not Sean Payton. I didn't work with Drew Brees every single day for the last 15 years. See the impact he had in the city. But just especially watching that game yesterday, you kind of saw signs of decline coming. And then yesterday, really, obviously, as we saw, three interceptions. It was a bad game all around for Drew Brees. If you were Sean Payton, do you think he should have at all tried to put Jameis Winston in the game, maybe after that second interception, maybe after the third interception, just to give your team a shot? Or at this point, because they committed to Drew Brees, it's basically you're going to go down with the ship, whether he plays good or whether he plays bad. Yeah, I think you go down with the ship. That's a great question. Uh and it's a question I think that maybe does pop into coaches' heads more often than than we than we think. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, when, when Brett Favre is, is looking like he wants nothing to do with the cold at Lambeau Field in 07, I'm, I'm sure that's <laughs> Mike McCarthy's mind. You know, I got Aaron Rodgers back here, and he looked damn good against Dallas early in the year when he kind of had to come in. So, yeah, I think the, I think it does enter your mind. But I, I think that Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees, everything they've been through, that he owed it to him and figured, you know, maybe there is one last push. Um, I, I don't think Jameis Winston comes in and beats the Bucks by, by any means, uh, but it, it probably would have. Hey, it would have been different because it, that game got away from him in a hurry, and mm-hmm. it was because Bruce, Bruce gave it away. I, I would totally agree. Yeah, I understand. Like I said, it's easier for me sitting here with no emotional connection to Bruce to say that if I'm Sean Payton, hey, you know, this guy gives us a better chance to win. But like you said, I mean, they, they did go all in. There's a you know a lot of emotion there. I think it. Maybe it makes it easier for Drew kind of to go out now, kind of you know, with on it on his shoulders at least w- with the loss, and like I said, being the weak point of the team for sure. Um, finishing up with Tyler Dunn quickly here, Tyler, because I we've, you've been gracious for your time, so thank you so much. I want to finish off with this. 
Something that happened not in the playoff games we saw, but what is brewing it down in Houston with the Texans and Sean Watson, it is just feels like it's getting worse and worse by the day. Now there's reports that the Texans already seemingly are thinking about maybe potential trade partners, thinking about what life would be like if they do, in fact, trade Deshaun Watson. I'm curious, because at least from, from this perspective, I'll put it this way. Cal McNair, right, single-handedly, it seems like he is the driving wedge between Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Everything he does, whether it's listening to Jack Easterby, maybe it's just you know his lack of self-awareness and realizing everything he does is just driving a further divide between Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Is there, should, I guess should, because it, there's no real way to, but should owners of professional sports be held more accountable for their actions, right? Because let's just say if things go really bad, they can't repair this, Sean Watson is traded. I mean, Cal McNair is not going to get punished in terms of he's not going to lose a team. Maybe, you know, revenue in terms of attendance will go down for a little bit, but, you know, the NFL is a, a money-making juggernaut. They're still going to make their money, no problem. Is there, should there be a way to hold owners more accountable to prevent situations where the owner is seemingly single-handedly is driving away one of the best players in the league, the face of the city, he is driving away. Is there any way to hold these owners accountable? Great question. I'd say the court of public opinion is is pretty strong. I mean, look at what you have there in New York, right, with James Dolan. Mm-hmm. And you hear that name and just think of certain things. You think of ineptitude. Uh, granted, people are still going to the Garden. Sold out. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Knicks get 10 wins a year, and there they are. The tickets are – you can't get them. Like you said, it's unreal. But it's – I mean, I think reputation matters. I mean, you saw NBA stars unwilling to go to the Knicks all all the time. That's the Mm -hmm. case. And, I mean, to apply that to the Houston Texans, if if that is the case, and Deshaun Watson is that fed up and it is that toxic and it does not sound good, um, it's, it's, it's pretty awful then I think that, you know, players are going to see that. They're not going to want to play for the Texans. And I think that the fans, you know what, they're, they're not going to want to go see a product that's not good. I mean, you've got this special transcendent talent in Deshaun Watson, and you can't make it work. Um, that is a reason to not buy season tickets. And I think that's the accountability factor. It's, you're just going to you're gonna have less support. You're going to have, um, you know, less players wanting to even play for you. Your, your, the brand, the marketability, the, the company, the business itself will suffer. And I think that that is accountability in this situation. For, for I, I hear you. It's, I mean, what, what are they going to do? Like take the team away from him? He, he owns the team. It's, he can do whatever, whatever he wants. Um, but it's, it's going to come back around one way or another. He's going he's to see the effect of this. Yeah, and hopefully he learns his lesson. Doesn't happen again. I mean, it's I could not. I just try to picture myself as a Texan, even as a Colts fan. You know, with their, them being in their own division, it's just to lose DeAndre Hopkins one off season, and now to lose Deshaun Watson. And you didn't, you know, if you're a Texas fan, you think you didn't do anything wrong. You did, you know, you did everything right. Just to see kind of the owner and the ineptitude mm-hmm. that, that's going on right now just take over. It is. I mean, you never – obviously, it's easier to say that you'd be fed up and done because obviously, as we know, the NFL – no one's going to just give up the NFL. But, man, you almost feel like helpless and powerless if you're a Texans fan just watching all that go down. It's – I envy them. That, that's for sure. That, or I don't envy them, I should say. That is just an, an awful situation <laughs> right, right. Brutal. to watch go down. Go long TDs where you can find all this great work on Twitter at Ty Dunn, Dunn spelled D-U-N-N-E. Tyler, thanks so much for the time. It was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I really do appreciate you giving us a few minutes here. And you got it, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, no, that was that was a ton of fun. Again, go long TD, an incredibly gifted writer, Tyler. So you can find all of his great work um, right there as well. Again, on Twitter at Ty Dunn, D-U-N-N-E. On oh, it was how you spell Dunn. I should say on Twitter. So when we come back, I want to discuss what Tyler just said about the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. They are in a precarious situation. Do you pay Lamar Jackson? Do you extend him, or are you concerned that hey, after that last playoff game, maybe we should hold off and see what we should do? Tyler says hold off.
make sure you, you know you at least you can you can guarantee that Lamar maybe one way or another will fit either in a better offense or get a, a receiver that can help him out. We'll discuss should the Ravens pay Lamar Jackson next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you, coming to you live as we always are from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, or online wherever you are at BigItalyPizza.com. The Chiefs survive a scare. Anything is possible. Including Chad Henney throwing for the uh, eventually game-sealing fourth down and one pass as the Chiefs advantage without Patrick Holmes to the AFC title game where, oh, by all indications, he should be healthy. And at least I think that was the best opportunity for any team in the AFC and any team personally in the NFL to knock the Chiefs off and prevent them from repeating as Super Bowl champions. And unfortunately, just a, a sad ending for Drew Brees. We assume that was it. I mean, there's nothing official after the game. Drew Brees said he's going to take time in the offseason to think about it, evaluate, just like he did the past uh, previous few offseasons before he makes a decision. But although all reports, all indications, at least play-wise, you know, indicate that, he, unfortunately for him, he has taken his last snaps as a New Orleans Saint, and that comes in a crushing 30-20 to, uh, to defeat to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They move on to face Aaron Rodgers in the uh, NFC title game. AFC will be Bills and Chiefs. I think four, arguably the best teams in the NFL remaining are playing, so we uh, get that treat next Sunday. It'll be a ton of fun. See who gets the battle and go to the Super Bowl. But Tyler hit on it before. I want to go back here to start the second hour and the final hour here, the Ryan Hickey Show, at least on this Monday, of a precarious situation that the Eagle, uh, the Eagles, the, the Ravens are now in. They are essentially in between a rock and a hard place because, obviously, as we know, they lose to the Bills 17-3, an ugly, ugly game from the offense, especially from Lamar Jackson. He struggles. We'll get to his stats here in a second, but... This was a game going into. I thought, you know, the Ravens playing really well. They, you know, the last month of the season, they've been red hot. Win, you know, went out the final month, go on the road, beat the Titans, get their revenge from last year's playoff loss to them. Uh, and I honestly thought, because there's always questions about Lamar Jackson, 0 for 2 in the first two postseason tries, that, hey, once he gets the first win, that I think that takes a lot of pressure off and he can play more free and the team itself can play more free. Because now instead of worrying and maybe pressing to get Lamar's first playoff win, hey, all right, first one's out of the way. Now we can kind of play loose, kind of play free, right? You know, anytime, you know, if you start something, you know, a new job, free athlete, new sport, you know, anytime you get the first one out of the way, the first sale out of the way, um, you crush your first conference out of the way, you know, there's always a pressure that's lifted once one of the, you know, you get kind of that first uh, benchmark, whatever it is in your respective job. Once you get that out of the way, you know, for me doing the first show, or sometimes if I'm extra nervous, the first segment kind of helps get the nerves out. And from there, all right, first segment's out. You're, you're getting going. You're in a groove here. Now you could be more free. You could be more loose. And you could play some more confidence. So that's personally what I thought was going to happen for Lamar Jackson, this Ravens team, heading to Buffalo. First one's out of the way. They'll play more loose. They'll play more free. And not only did I, thought, you know, did I think that the Ravens are going to go into Buffalo and win, you also had reports you know, from Ian Rapport and others before the game early Saturday that the Ravens are open to a contract extension this spring with Lamar Jackson. As you know, this is his third year in the league. 
won the MVP last year. Really, you know, after struggling for almost half the year, maybe even, you know, three quarters of the year, he really played well. And, and since coming back from COVID, really kind of helped elevate his play and, and help get the Ravens in the playoffs. So I thought, you know, all right, before this game, I think that the Ravens absolutely should extend Lamar. No doubt. Then you watch it. 17-3. Lamar Jackson, 196 total yards. Zero touchdowns. No passing touchdowns. No rushing touchdowns. To that game-changing pick six to uh, Teron Johnson that essentially iced the game. That was it. Game over after that pick six. Because uh, the way the Ravens' offense was moving, nowhere they're going to come back from a two-touchdown deficit. First game in Lamar Jackson's or I should say, first time Lamar Jackson has been held without a touchdown since his first career start back in November of 2018. So over two years, he has yet to be held without a touchdown running or passing. That happened on Sunday or Saturday night against the Bills. And now, as we know, he's 1-3 in the postseason. So the question I'll ask you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey, also on Twitter. Should the Ravens accept Lamar Jackson? Should they pay him this offseason? Should they hitch their wagons to Lamar Jackson's cart? He already has an MVP under his belt. As we know, he is the catalyst of this Ravens offense. They've designed their entire offensive game plan around Lamar Jackson. Now, also, as we know, for all the good Lamar's done, we have seen quarterbacks get paid for one good year of play, and now teams are regretting it. Carson went to the Eagles. 2017, he would have won the MVP if he didn't tear his ACL. Eagles back at the Brinks truck, gave him an extension, and now all of a sudden, two years later, or I guess three years later, the Eagles sitting here saying, oh boy, we are in big trouble. Carson Wentz might be broken. We're going to fire the head coach. If you want to trade Carson Wentz, it's, it's tough because of his contract. It's so prohibitive. That is a team that maybe not uh, externally, but internally are saying, man, Maybe we regret extending Carson Wentz. Jared Goff, same thing with the Rams. You don't think the Rams right now are kicking themselves? Jared Goff goes to the Super Bowl. Obviously, they get handled, but he plays well enough to get them to the Super Bowl. Extend him, and now here we are. Jared Goff, there's questions. and I mean, essentially, he got benched last week for John Wolford in the playoff game. So, yeah, you don't think the, the Rams right now are, are trying to figure out a way or, or if they could get another quarterback in, but obviously that contract by Jared Goff, it's tough to get out of. Kirk Cousins, standing with the Vikings. Although, to be fair, they had enough sample size to realize, hey, maybe don't trust Kirk Cousins in the playoffs. They did it anyway. That's on them. But some examples recently, when Scott Cousins, of contracts handed out that now teams are regretting because it makes it prohibitive from, from bringing another quarterback in, and there is a defined ceiling for what these teams can accomplish, and it is not the Super Bowl. So, Nick, would Lamar Jackson, in your mind, end up on this list? Would he be in the same conversation as our Carson Wentz, as a Jared Goff, where teams are regretting it a year from now, two years from now, and there's no wiggle room to where basically you are committed now to a quarterback that you don't have much belief in? Or would it end up more to a Deshaun Watson type where, guess what, he is worth the money. This contract is worth paying him all that money. Now, you heard Tyler Dunn just say before when we had him on, he is a big Lamar Jackson fan himself. He is very hesitant in paying Lamar Jackson a massive Deshaun Watson-type contract. He would rather see Lamar in a different offense. He would get rid of Greg Norman, bring in a new offense, bring in a new scheme that is more 
aggressive and better schemed to open up passing lanes for Lamar. Because as we saw, he struggled mightily passing the ball. And not just that. The receivers struggled getting open. Wasn't much separation. There wasn't much creativity when it comes to trying to pass the ball from Greg Roman, especially in that playoff game against the Bills. Now I'll say this. So Tyler Dunn said, all right, respected NFL writer, I would hold off. Honestly, if it's me, I'm not letting Lamar go. I would try to work something out. Maybe you can get him at a little bit of a discount after this last game, after his playoff performance. But to me, I feel safe enough, I feel confident enough to extend Lamar Jackson going forward. And here's why. He is still one of the most dynamic players in the league, right? His skill is second to none. He's in a unanimous MVP just a year ago. He is 31-10 and 10 when he starts games. Now, different from Carson Wentz, different from Jared Goff, his athletic ability is something that those guys don't have. He, he possesses a, a skill set that no other quarterback in the NFL has. So I don't think Lamar, just because he is still more athletic, he is faster, and he is better than a lot of the defenders on the field, I don't think he's going to be a one-hit wonder like Jared Goff was back in 2018. I don't think he's going to all of a sudden now become broken like Carson Wentz is and can't fix him. So I'm not trying to excuse Lamar Jackson's deficiencies. I'm not trying to place blame elsewhere for that Ravens debacle on Saturday night because that was just an embarrassment for the entire team, especially for Lamar. But I will say this. He had his own mistakes, and he was bottled up. It wasn't all on him. The struggles, the issues on offense for Baltimore was not all on him. Diana Rossini, an incredibly talented ESPN reporter, she put out this interesting tweet early Saturday or in, early into the game on Saturday night when the Bills were starting to get some early stops. She tweeted that, you know, she talks to defensive coordinators, the biggest deficiency in this Ravens offense and the key to stopping Lamar Jackson in the Baltimore offense is basically forcing Lamar Jackson to play outside the numbers. If he's going to run the ball, force him to go laterally. Force him to go east and west, not north and south. Kind of obvious. Okay, that's fair. And force him to throw the ball outside the numbers. If you do so, if you force Lamar Jackson to run east and west, if you force him to throw the ball across the field outside the numbers, you will have success doing so. And the Bills absolutely followed that game plan to a T, worked the hell to three points. So I understand, look, Lamar has his own deficiencies in his game for sure. But at the same time, this Baltimore Ravens offense should not be shut down if Lamar Jackson isn't having himself a day on the ground. So in the five losses this year that Baltimore's had when Lamar's been a quarterback, because remember, the RG3 and Trace McSorley played in that Pittsburgh game that was rescheduled like three different times back on uh, Thanksgiving. But when Lamar Jackson has been held to under 75 yards rushing, four of the five losses this year for the Ravens came when that happened. When Lamar's been bottled up, when he has been able to establish a ground game with his own feet, and I'm sorry, that you just can't have that happen. You can't allow your own offense to go in the tank if your quarterback basically isn't making plays on his own. Isn't dicing up defenses on his own. So I asked Tyler this, and he said, yeah, sure, that could, that could help. He's not sure if it would be the cure-all. But at least to me, coming out of this game, my biggest takeaway was that the Ravens need a stud number one wide receiver to take some pressure off Lamar Jackson. Because honestly, what this offense is, is Lamar basically, here, run the ball, Make superhero plays and just go out there and play schoolyard football, essentially. Run the ball, pass the ball, but just basically rely on your athletic ability to make things happen. And guess what? That is not sustainable. The Ravens need someone desperately 
on the outside that can win every battle. That's like a vacuum. You throw the ball in his area, boom, catches it. Catches it, boom. Just throw it up near him. He'll win the 50-50 balls. He's like a vacuum. Just sucks the ball out of the air no matter who's around. A safety valve, if you will. Because honestly, who on the outside scares you? Marquise for Hollywood Brown has you know, had some, some nice games recently. But at the same time, is he really keeping defensive coordinators up? Is he getting them nightmares where you, know, where you all of a sudden now are going to start dropping more defenders in coverage? Because, hey, we can't get burned by Hollywood. That guy is so good. we got to put two or three guys on him, take him away, and then worry about Lamar second. No, no, no. Teams are loading out the box, seven, eight defenders, daring Lamar to throw. Because knowing, really outside of Mark Andrews, no wide receiver is really that good to burn. No wide receiver is winning one-on-one matchups consistently. No wide receiver is giving this defense nightmares. And that is what the Ravens needed. It worked to perfection with Josh Allen. We'll get to him in a second. And it, I think it would work for Lamar Jackson. I think it would, it would make paying Lamar that much more enticing. So whether it's, I don't know if you can maybe scrounge up a Julio Jones from Atlanta if they do a fire sale. Whether it's Allen Robinson, he'll be on the free agent mark. I'm not sure. I mean, that, that's a guy who you saw about catching passes from nobodies. Allen Robinson has been in Jacksonville catching passes from Blake Bortles. Then went to Chicago, caught passes from Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. That is a guy who deserves to have a quarterback that can actually get in the ball accurately and on time. So we'll see. Maybe he can even be even better because, I mean, Stephon Diggs is a question. You heard Tyler Dunn say the same thing. He had questions whether it would work. Stephon Diggs is not this bona fide number one stud that we all thought he was this year. Maybe Allen Robinson is that same guy. I mean, it really is a shame. The biggest shame in all this is that this situation didn't come up last year because, man, Texans were giving away stud number one wide receivers. It's a real shame they don't have another gifted number one wide receiver they could just give away for a bargain price that the Ravens could take off their hands. But getting that number one stud receiver in here, to me, would be a massive difference for this Ravens offense and I think would help elevate Lamar's play and thus make it more palatable to extend Lamar, get him in locked up long term. Let's just look quickly here what Stephon Diggs did to Josh Allen's play. 2019, just one year ago, Josh Allen had the worst completion percentage in the NFL. Dead last. 58.8% of his passes were being completed. He had the ninth worst passer rating in the NFL, and he was 24th out of 30 quarterbacks in QBR. So bad, worse, awful in terms of completion percentage and in terms of quarterback rating in the NFL just last year. Not his rookie year, just last year, just one calendar year ago. Now, fast forward. You get Stephon Diggs on your team. What happens? 2020, Josh Allen goes from last in completion percentage to fourth. 69.2% of his passes were completed. He goes from having the ninth worst passer rating in all the NFL to having the fourth best passer rating in the NFL. 24th out of 30 in QBR last year, third in QBR this year. So, yeah, one guy could change it all. It did for Josh Allen. I think it would do the same thing for Lamar Jackson personally. It would take not only some pressure off him in the run game, because defense have to allocate now more resources to stopping a number one wide receiver. It gives Lamar Jackson a bona fide number one receiver to throw to. That when they do throw, there's a guy that you can have confidence in that will game in and game out uh, provide and play really well. Because there's no right now receiver on the Ravens that can do so. There isn't. There's no one on that team that scares you. 
So I agree with Tyler Dunn, the offensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator could help. A number one wide receiver could absolutely change the, change the deal. At least to me, looking at Lamar's athletic ability, looking at the skills he possesses, I still would extend Lamar Jackson. I understand that you know the taste in your mouth from, from the latest performance isn't, isn't great. You're very frustrated. But I wouldn't personally let this last performance sour my thoughts on, on Lamar moving forward. I think this team is very close to getting over the hump, to getting a Super Bowl. I think the number one wide receiver would do so. And I honestly think paying Lamar would be a smart investment. I would. And this is from someone who had his own doubts. I did not think Lamar Jackson would be successful in the NFL. But now here I am almost two years later saying extend him. I don't think. Now, I could, this could come back to bite me for sure. Sure, old takes exposed or whoever will save this, you know, if Lamar Jackson gets hurt or is a bust. But I don't think he would end up like a Carson Wentz contract, like a Jared Goff contract. I think it would be a wise investment personally. So I'm curious your thoughts. Would you pay Lamar Jackson if you're the Ravens? Would you feel confident? Would you feel good? Despite what you saw, and the last performance was not good, would you feel confident paying Lamar Jackson? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, the Green Bay Packers, can anybody stop them? Does the Buccaneers defense have a prayer in trying to slow down Aaron Rodgers? We will discuss the next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network um, discussing, would you want to pay Lamar Jackson? Would you feel comfortable in giving Lamar a Deshaun Watson-type contract, if you will? There's rumors. And there's reports that, hey, Lamar could um, get extended, if you will, by, um, by the Ravens. There are some reports heading to the game on Saturday that maybe he could get some money, maybe that the Ravens could be interested in trying to lock him up long term. And does that, and after watching his game on Saturday, does that change your opinion at all? He struggled mightily, to say the least. Offense scored just three points. He struggled throwing the ball. And as we know, the season ended in defeat as the Ravens fell to the Bills 17-3. So I'm, so I'm curious, would you pay Lamar? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. I would. Personally, I would feel comfortable. This is, this is someone that, again, would, would pay Lamar. And this is someone who had his, I had my own doubts. I really did. But I think at least to me, you get him a number one wide receiver. I think that changes a lot. And his talent, his athletic ability to me is too much to give up upon. So I would feel, you know, maybe get a little bit of a discount, if you will, with how he played recently and and some of his struggles um, in the postseason. But I think this is a guy you definitely do not give up on. This guy I think you want to keep long-term. And I think his contract would end up differently than, let's say, contracts given out to Jared Goff at the Rams and Carson Wentz at the Eagles, where now those teams are looking back a year or two later and being, oh, boy, we're in trouble. We are in big trouble. So again, Facebook, World Art Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter, if you want to chime in at all, whether the Ravens should pay Lamar Jackson. On the line, though, I'm very excited to talk, our, talk 
CJ Small. That name hopefully sounds familiar to you because guess what? He is an extremely talented contributor to the Worldwide Sports Network. Writing, incredibly talented, and also hosts Weapons Hot. Every Sunday night, a Jets-featured uh, show reacting to all 17 games. And a little bit of news. Robert Sal, the new head coach of the Jets. I'm sure CJ is fired up. CJ is on the line. CJ, what's up, stud? What's going on, Ryan? Thanks for having me on this morning. Yo, th- thanks for calling in, man. How-, how are you feeling? I Obviously, tough Jets season, to say the least. But, I mean, at least to me, as a neutral observer, this is one of the, the best moves out early. But, you know, one of the best moves to be fired up on if you're a Jets fan in a, in a long time. Yeah, the Robert Sala hire definitely does give some uh, hope and some optimism uh, for the New York Jets fan base. The Jets go out and get their man. This was a guy who was on Joe Douglas's shortlist and one of only two people who they called back for second interviews. So that says a lot. And Robert Sala, apparently with his, his vision, his charisma, and – but all of his plans for the hopefully that is going to be bringing over to the New York Jets franchise it is really what sold uh, Joe Douglas. Plus, uh, along the way, his philosophy in regards to how he wants to manage this team. Granted, a lot of stuff has not really been leaked to the media, so a lot of it is all from patchwork and and uh, media outlet sources and so on. But it's a it's a complex jigsaw puzzle, but eventually if you read all the tweets and you kind of put everything together, you can kind of get the gist as to what their conversation was about. And, you know, apparently this right here, it smells like a Joe Douglas hire, which is great. As a Jets fan, you should be incredibly, incredibly relieved that the Johnson family had absolutely zero to do with this hire. All they had to do was sign the check. That's all they had to do. And as a Jets fan, that's all you wanted them to do. Because Christopher Johnson, the week before, two weeks before, right after the regular season ended, came out and openly admitted failure, which is a big deal. Because this team has failed. It has failed for the past decade plus. They failed not only in the NFL standings, they have failed their fan base. They have failed their season ticket holders. They have failed their PSL holders. So eventually you have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, the way that we've been doing things has not been working. And we have a full decade plus to look at, which shows us proof and more than enough evidence that what we've been doing has not been working. So for Joe Douglas to spearhead this hire, tremendous relief for me, and I'm sure for all of Jets Nation as well. 100%. And honestly, like, that was my biggest concern, CJ, was just like that, you know, we've seen the Johnson family get involved, feels like, you know, all too often, way too much. And I'll be honest, I did not have much faith. Um, even, you know, I thought Trevor Lawrence, honestly, should should avoid the Jets if possible because, honestly, I, I couldn't believe that the Johnson family allowed Joe Douglas, the man they hired to make the decisions, to actually make the decisions. They they rarely do that. And to your point, right, this Robert Sala hiring feels like a Joe Douglas hiring. This is a guy that, you know, is a leader, which to me, that was the first and foremost in terms of uh, attributes that the Jets coach needed. Get a leader, because as you've seen really since Rex Ryan, no one's been able to take a hold of this franchise and kind of guide it in the right direction. The Johnson family has been too involved. It's been to their demise and at least so far, you know, again, we haven't really seen Robert Sala what he can do, but 
I think in terms of on paper, this is this is one of the best moves you can make, and at least right now the Jets are trending in the right direction. Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, right now we went from the Jets being an attractive destination to not being an attractive mm-hmm. destination to now all of a sudden being a very attractive destination. So you know, the thermometer definitely went up and down, and uh, and different people out there have different opinions in regards to the New York Jets and, and, and how attractive this job actually is. But Robert Sala, in my opinion, is walking into a, a very unique situation where he completely has a blank canvas. You've got two draft picks in the first round. You've got the second most cap space out there for free agents. You've got your pick of the litter as far as how you want to build your staff and what guys you want to bring on. Plus, you have a general manager that you know 100% has your back. So there are many first-time NFL head coaches that did maybe have not gotten the opportunity to walk into such a scenario as that. But everything that Robert Sala is walking into basically is a blank canvas. So he's going to be able to mold and to shape this team into his image and what he wants and what he desires, as well as Joe Douglas. So the best part about it is, is that ownership is staying out of the way. 100%. Because we saw that when, when ownership gets involved, that's when things start really getting screwy. So it, it's good to see your GM and your head coach in lockstep and – you know, Jet fans should be looking toward the future with finally some hope and optimism after the darkness of the past 10 years. Was that the um, the general feeling of the show last night? Again, weapons hot, 7 Eastern, uh, right? I believe 7, 6 Eastern or 7 Eastern? I apologize. I forget the um, on Worldwide Sports. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 7 Eastern every Sunday night, weapons hot. So what was the uh, what was the general consensus last night? Was it, was it positive like you're feeling right now? It, it, it was positive, but also a lot of attention is being paid to now the Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. supposedly wanting out of Houston. What would the Jets bring up? Does the Robert Sala hiring actually mean that Sam Darnold will now stay a New York Jet or will he be dealt? In my opinion, I still think that regardless of the head coach, unless they come out and say Sam Darnold is our guy and we are sticking with him, then I don't believe anything that's being reported because Sam Donald to me, as much as I love the kid and I've, I've rooted so much for him. I've wanted so much for him to be successful here, but you know what, Ryan, after three years, I don't care if Mr. Magoo is coaching. (laughs) Okay. You have to be able to pick up something. And even in year three, he's still making the same rookie mistakes having difficulty reading defenses. And look, there's only so much that you could blame on Todd Bowles. And I said this last night. There's only so much you could blame Todd Bowles, uh, uh, Jeremy Bates, Adam Gates, Daryl Loggins. There's only so much you could blame on them. Just like there's only so much we could blame on Mike McCagney. Sam Darnold, to me, in my opinion, from the moment that he stepped into the New York Jets organization, got a raw deal. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but... That's exactly what happened. They didn't build an offensive line. They didn't supply him with weapons. His best weapon that he had in Robbie Anderson, they let walk out in free agency and replaced him with a cripple in, in Rashad <laughs> Perryman. Okay? So, uh, I, I mean, 
you know, uh, I could I could go on and on and on in a litany of just ridiculous moves that the New York Jets tried to sell the fan base that, hey, look what we're doing. No, you're not doing anything. Placing my Milky Way with like a stale Snickers from 10 years ago. (laughs) Okay. Oh, I'm with, listen, as a Colts fan, I'll be honest. I I like Sam uh, personally. I think he can thrive. But to your point, part of the, like, I understand what you're saying. A lot of it though is the, the weapons have been awful. The coaching has been, well, we'll put it nicely, suspect. There, there's just a, a lot of bad, like you said, the three no, years the that he's been has here. Been trash, Ryan. It's okay. <laughs> I'm hey, trying to be nice. You know, you know I don't want to kick Jet a guy Nation, when he's down. Jet Nation has come out and has spoken that the coaching has been trash. It's been trash since Todd Bowles was there. It was trash when Adam Gase walked in. Probably and even the fact worse. That it only took a 10-minute phone call from Peyton Manning to change Christopher Johnson's mind <laughs> when they were just about to pull the trigger on Mike McCarthy just makes me cringe. And that was the main reason why I wanted Christopher Johnson having zero input in this process. Oh, I, I'm, you know? and I'm Did shocked. Did Peyton Manning come out and apologize to Jet? <laughs> My God, I didn't realize that Adam Gates was going to be so bad. No, he doesn't care. Uh, he hates the Jets. He doesn't care. You think he knew? Think he knew what an unmitigated disaster this be, CJ? I, uh, I don't think that he knew it was going to be that bad, but I think in the back of his mind, <laughs> he probably said, wow, this is going to be fun to watch. Adam Gase and Greg Williams, oh, my God, there's going to be fights on the <laughs> sideline and this and that. And you know what? We actually saw some of that this year where Greg Williams called out the offense. We, we saw the, the turmoil within the locker room actually spill out into the media. And, and you know what? This is what happens when you have a football team that its defense spends the majority of the time on its field, uh, on the field, than the offense. And they're only, co- you know, you can only ride that, that wave so long, Ryan. The Jets have always had a history of having incredibly tough defenses, incredibly stout defenses, that even on bad teams, your defensive ranks were still top 10, top 15 in pass and run protection. And that's great. That says a lot about the defensive side of the ball. But you know what? On the offensive side of the ball, if you can't put points on the board, what's the difference? It doesn't matter. I agree. Because then you're asking your defense to pitch shutouts in order for you to stay competitive for the game. And that's not fair. Oh, totally agree. So are you, I think it's easy to, are you all in on Sean Watson then? Uh, no, uh, to be honest with you, not really. Really? Uh, I mean, like, I, uh, I like the, I like the idea of bringing him in, but then there is also this warning uh, beep that goes on in the back of my head where, we could really utilize the draft picks that we have to really solidify and and press holds on this team that we don't have to like buy free agents for because we've so we've seen with Mike McCagnan when he was the general manager when you go and you give somebody a hundred million dollars and they go and they overpay because we're already going to have to overpay it's called the Jets tax. Okay, because nobody wants to come and play here. So, you know, well, I think Deshaun wants to change why that. Am I going to address see when I can address those holes in the draft and actually build a solid core? 
So do you want them to draft two words a quarterback that are missing then? from that whole thing, Ryan? It's called competitive sustainability. I don't just want a team that's going to be good next year. I want to be. I want a team that's going to be good for the next five years. You see how the Ravens do it. Yeah. You see how the Steelers do it. Do oh, it. I agree. You see how the how the Buccaneers are starting to do it. The Saints. The, the list goes on and on. Oh yeah. It's time for the Jets to play big boy football and take pages out of those teams' playbooks to be competitive, to be sustainably competitive for years to come. Because it's not just about winning one Super Bowl. You want to win multiple Super Bowls. Oh, CJ. I, am I right or am I wrong? I, no, I'm with – trust me. I am with you. Like, I, I'm all in. So you want to be competitive and you want to sustain that competitiveness for, for a decade. I'm totally with you. But I, I personally think Deshaun Watson is the guy to do so. Like, so I guess, all right, so if you're not all in, let's say you don't want to – because to me, price is four first-round picks. I'm doing it. As a Colts fan – I would pay five. I honestly, I think six first-round picks is worth it. To be completely honest, for someone of his talent and his age, being 26 next year, he could be in the Jets uniform for a decade. I think he honestly would give you that competitive sustainability that you're looking for. So I'm curious if you're not sold in him. Okay, are you taking Fields number two? Are you taking Zach Wilson number two? What are you doing then? Because you want to build through the draft. Well, the direction that I would go, I, I, I like Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, I, I, I'm, you know, listen, I'm not going to say I'm totally against bringing Deshaun Watson in because if Joe Douglas went ahead and he made them an offer they couldn't refuse and we get Deshaun Watson, okay, what am I going to say? I'm not going to root for the team because we got Deshaun Watson. Would you no, do it for, four, let's say, four first-round picks? The next, so, you, you know. I don't know if I'd do it for four first-round picks. I'd probably, uh, I'd probably send a package. And, and I don't think it's going to take four first-rounders in order to get it done. I think that with the, with, with the Texans, I think you could probably get away with maybe two firsts or, or two firsts, really? a second and a third. Maybe you throw in a player. Maybe you throw, you know, I hate to say this because I love this kid, but maybe you throw in a, a, a Denzel Mims. Or maybe you, you – Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold, plus two ones, two twos, take it or leave it. That solves their quarterback. That that solves their quarterback situation because now they're at least getting something in return. Right. So I mean, there's a there's a number of different things that you can do, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, well, Joe Douglas might end up making a bad deal and so on. Look, Joe Douglas completely fleeced Seattle for what he got for Jamal Adams. I, I agree, which is why I think that the price for Deshaun Watson is going to be even more. And you got two firsts for, De, for Jamal Adams. I, I Personally, I think you'll get more, you know, the Texans will want more. There's going to be a market. I think they'll – I made the argument last week. I think 30 out of the 31 teams that, you know, could, you know, could get Deshaun Watson. I think, to me, the Chiefs are the only team that could justify not doing it. Age, competitiveness, consistency. I think there's a case to be made for 30 out of the 31 mm-hmm. teams – that, you know, are out there that, that aren't obviously the Texans and uh, to me aren't the Chiefs that, you know, honestly couldn't justify not going after him. That You couldn't make the claim that he's not an upgrade over your current quarterback. So there's going to be a lot of competition. But here's, here's also another thing here, uh, Ryan, is that you also have to take a look at Robert Sala mm-hmm. as a head coach. Do the head coach and GM come together and do they say, is this a, is this a guy that I want to pursue? Or do I still want to build this team in my own image? I mean, if, I, if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm having this conversation with Robert, Robert Sala, 
And I'm saying, what do you want to do as far as the quarterback situation? There's still a lot of moving parts. And I, I still think that the Jets are probably, aside from the Jaguars, are probably in the best position to actually make a trade like this happen. It would absolutely shock me if the Jags made this deal, which I think, believe it or not, would be a blessing for them because then you know what happens. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence Look could who's come, coming come to Broadway. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, for me, the way that I look at it is like this. Whatever the Jets do at the quarterback situation, they have to upgrade from Sam Darnold. Oh, totally. Now, if they, if they decide that they want to hang on to Sam, that's fine. That's not going to be a deal breaker for, for a lot of fans because, you know, they're, they're going to want to see what you do. But here, here's the thing. If I'm hanging on for Sam Donald for one more year, I'm not picking up that fifth-year option. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell the kid straight out, if you're going to stay here and you're going to be the future quarterback, you're going to have to ball out. And you're going to have to show us what you're made of. And if not, you're out. And you put it all in the kid's lap. Because after year three, sure, you could blame it on Gage. You could blame it on, uh, blame it on an incomplete offensive line. You could blame it on lack of weapons, whatever. At the end of the day, the kid still has to show you something. In year three, he took a major step back. So in year four, under a new offensive system that especially caters to that, that could potentially caters to what he does well, if he still can't get it together, no, you don't pick up that fourth year option. You say, thank you for your service. It's time for you to go, and we'll move on to the next one. Because you know what, Brian? We, we, we know how the NFL draft process works. Mm-hmm. And we know how every year in college football, every year there's always that quote-unquote generational talent. Wash, rinse, repeat. This is what we hear yep. every single oh, year. Yeah. Oh, this guy's a can't-miss prospect. <laughs> oh, that guy's a can't-miss prospect. Or the other guy's a can't-miss prospect. Whatever. I am so numb to it that it's, it's, it's beyond ridiculous. So if you're going to stick with Sam – He's got to – you take 2021 season, and here's your audition. Can you prove to us that you're the guy? If not, get to stepping because uh, we'll draft the next young guy, and we'll be able to address our offensive line. We'll be able to address more weapons. We'll be able to address more needs on defense. We'll be able to fortify this team to, for, again, competitive sustainability. CJ, I'm 100% with you. Kevin Jackson, a fellow contributor, very talented worldwide sports era contributor as well, He's listening to our conversation on Facebook, writes three ones and a couple of mid-rounders he's in. Doesn't want to trade Mims. He goes, oh, no, not Mims. But three ones and a couple of mid-round picks for Deshaun Watson. He is locked in to have him in, uh, in the green and white next year. CJ, so I don't mean to hijack the conversation. I apologize. What did you want to call in about? Was it the Jets? So, I'm sorry. Say again, Ryan. You cut in and out there for a moment. Sorry about that. No, I said I didn't mean to hijack the conversation. What did you want to call in about? Well, I actually wanted to call in because, one, I don't get the opportunity to talk to you all that often. The only time we really get to, get to talk is through, uh, through instant messenger sometime and Facebook, uh, Facebook stuff through the page. So one of the things I did want to talk about is I kind of liked how uh, you, you had this little topic about holding the owners accountable. Yes. All right. And – Perfect case in point. Who have we just been talking about for the last few minutes? The New York Jets! (laughs) Okay? Mr. Woody Johnson, Mr. Christopher Johnson, in the mecca of the media capital of the world, 
and you have a dumpster fire of an organization that because you make baby powder and Q-tips and hair packs and baby oil and all that other stuff, it does not mean that you are competent enough to run a football franchise. Could that is why you hire football people. See, John, the funny part, they hire football people and then they don't let them do their job. That is, see, I'm with you. And that's yeah. my biggest frustration with ownership is that, in all professional sports, too, because, I mean, baseball, personally, I, I think the owners are killing the sport right now, and that's a whole topic for a whole other day. But to your point, especially, like, what you're seeing in Houston, like, could you, and like you said, you've seen it with the Johnson family. We've seen it here being in New York for, I mean, I'm 26. For as long as I can remember, at least just this team just – not allowing the people that how to do the right job, and the Jets have been a laughing stock for the most part of the last two decades. Obviously, give or take a few years here and there. But to your point, it's like one person or or one family has such a control over your team's fate, and it sounds you know like all right, like you know franchise quarterback can change your fortunes or head coach can change your fortunes. But it honestly goes back to the owner of your team. If they don't let the people that they hire do their job, if they don't run a competent organization, let alone just just putting the right pieces in place and letting the people they hire do the right thing, you don't have a chance to succeed. And it's so frustrating because now could you imagine like being a Texans fan, right? You have Deshaun Watson. This is one of the, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He does all the right things in the community. He, he's a great, you know, great teammate. He's a great leader. He does everything. He is basically your quintessential franchise quarterback, everything you could possibly want from a fan perspective, from an owner perspective, from a coach perspective. He is there. And to watch right. your franchise – Basically, and watch your franchise quarterback get, just get so upset at the team, not because they're losing, not because the head coach stinks and you know, he's on his way out, not because the GM doesn't know what he's doing, because the owner not only doesn't know what he's doing, but everything he does, his lack of self-awareness, is just driving a wedge deeper and deeper and deeper. And basically, anytime he talks, anytime he speaks, any action that he does only creates a bigger divide. Like I would be besides myself if I was a Texans fan realizing that, hey, we did nothing wrong, right? You, you, you tried to win. It didn't work out. But you know what? You still have the guy. You have the most important piece in all of sports set. And now to watch your owner basically w- with his actions, lying to Deshaun Watson, keeping him in the dark, not keeping him in the loop, and, and even just abiding by the simple request. He's not asking you to hire someone. He's not saying, hey, hire this guy or, hey, hire this GM or do what I say. He's saying just interview them. You want my they, – they actively sought out to get his input. They, he, he talked to them, and this is what I like. And this is some of the qualities that I want. We need a culture change here. This GM, I think, has a good opportunity. This head coach, I think, you know, could be good here. Just This is what I think from a player perspective, speaking for most of the team. And then for the owner, whether he's listening to Jack used to be, whether he just doesn't know what he's doing, basically does the antithesis of that and basically slaps Deshaun Watson in the face. It's like I, I honestly – if I was a Texans fan – this would be almost enough for me to just give up on the team, to be honest. That, that's how frustrated and upset I would be. And it's just like th- there's no repercussions. Like, th- like you said, you, you've seen the Johnson family for two decades now. It feels like just, just screw this team up with, with no repercussions because the NFL is a moneymaker, right? No matter what they do, fans will watch. The NFL, they're going to get their money no matter what. Maybe attendance goes down a little bit, but it doesn't matter. They're going to get their money one way or another, and that's what it is for them, an investment. And it's like to have no repercussions, no no consequences for basically being incompetent. Mm-hmm. It, it is just infuriating. Infuriating. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that uh, what kind of makes me think of all of that is I, I'm sure you're old enough to remember what happened with the Milwaukee Brewers when the owners were apparently just 
pocketing uh, pocketing the money. They were paying they were paying teams below the minimum. They were paying players below the minimum. And then Major League Baseball essentially had to step in and take seize control of day-to-day operations before that ownership group was able to find another ownership group to actually sell it. They were actually forced to sell the Brewers. Right. So in a way, you almost kind of wish that the NFL had a similar policy where they see that a particular team, okay, just is just circling the drain, circling the drain. And despite the fact you, you still have other teams that are doing well and the NFL is making money, if you guys are really interested in the whole competitive balance thing and ha- everyone having an equal opportunity to be able to be good, and then you just have one team that just stinks year after year after year, and you know whether, whether it's coaching, whether it's front office issues, whether it's this, whether it's that, at some point the league has to step in and say, okay, you, what, what's going on here? Right. I mean, like, look, it's been perpetually bad for the past 20 years. What's going on here? So I think something like this, especially with the front office and especially with the ownership, I don't know if it's enough for the NFL to step in and to actually say something, but I definitely think phone calls should be made. Like, what is going on over there? And and then, like, because I, I, I had hoped that that would happen with the New York Jets. Let me tell you. I started getting really excited when the allegations of Woody Johnson and right. and uh, uh, sexual misconduct started coming out in the UK and his making racist and sexist comments. And I was like, could it be that the Johnsons are going to have to sell the Jets? Yes, we can have new owners. I mean, just imagine how New York Mets fans feel right now, knowing that they have an owner that's committed to winning and is not afraid to stick his hand in his pocket and spend. Okay. Same thing with the Brooklyn Nets, okay? But if you take a look at other teams like Jacksonville, where Shad Khan, you know, he makes all he, – he makes personnel decisions. He's the one who makes the, the front office decisions and so on. But yet, what qualifications does he have to do so? You're not a football guy. Right. So I really don't even know what Shad Khan does. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll leave it this, CJ, because we do have to run here as we're at, the show's about to end. But I'll leave it this. And, and I totally agree. It's just like – I understand it's a business, right? And that's maybe the most frustrating part is, like, these guys, obviously, there's enough wealth to go, and you can buy a team, congratulations, you deserve it. And and a lot of them do treat it like a business. And now, like I said, some sports, it's different than others, but for the most part, it's a money-making business. And as we've seen, like I said, as long as those checks are coming in, some of them think they can, you know, call the shots. Some of them will let the uh, the football people do, but – a lot of the owners, or I shouldn't say a lot, but owner, there are owners that own professional sports teams that winning is not the first priority. It's not even the second or third priority for most, right? It is, whether it's a status, whether it's just making money, it is. And I understand, you know, in the free free country that we are, you can do what you want. Um, but at the same time, it's like, shouldn't, personally, at least for these leagues, and I understand they're run by the owners, the commissioner basically is working for the owner. So there's, there's never going to be power to where mm-hmm. they can remove an owner for basically unwillingness to win or not trying their best to win. But when you think about this perspective, right, who, who really puts the money in these owners' pockets? I understand, you know, the leagues are profitable with all the TV contracts, but it is the fans, right? As corny as that sounds, going yep. to games, watching the games, for how popular the NFL is, it's, it's popular because we watch it, we like the sport. As soon as we stop watching, all of a sudden, money starts getting lost. That's when changes are made. 
And it's like, you know, again, even even in Houston, what's going on right now, like Deshaun Watson gets traded. I'm not sure how many Texans fans now are going to be running to buy season tickets. How many are going to be watching this team? If he's not on the team this year, they're 0-16. They are by far the worst team in the NFL if he's not there. And even just with the career year he had, they still only won four games. So there is a lot wrong with this Texans team where if you trade him, I understand another team's going to get happy, right? Maybe it's the Bears, maybe it's the Jets. All of a sudden, another big market team now gets this influx to where all of a sudden they'll be going to, you know, be, they'll be going to games where they'll be watching the games more. And Houston takes a hit. But at the same time, it's like if you're not committed to winning, I feel like that you owe it to the fans to, to prioritize winning if you're an owner. If not, you know, Bring someone else in. There, there's enough wealth in this country to where someone else who wants to win is able to buy the team. Like you just said, being a Mets fan, I mean, the, the best day of my life, honestly, as a sports fan, was when the Wilpons sold and Steve Cohen bought the team. By far the best day of my life. And you see what a, a committed winner, a uh, committed owner to winning, how it changes the, the fan base, how it changes really the perspective of the team. For agents that want to come to the Mets, it, it, it's contagious. So it, personally, I just would, I would like to see that you know, be the first and foremost motivation for anyone who tries to buy a sports team committed to winning, and if not, we will bring someone in who will try to win. And again, it doesn't mean you have to win, but if you are committed to winning, if you're putting the resources there, if you're spending the money, if you're, if you're trying to put your team in the best position to win, if that means taking a step back for you know, a re, you know, trying to re-fortify your draft picks and get younger, that's one thing. But to cut salary like we've seen in sports, to jettison your, your best quarterback and one of the best players in the league just because you, you don't know what you're doing, you're listening to bad advice, like – there has to be some sort of consequence from that. That's just my frustration, and that's you know when you see in Houston, it's that. I'll that's leave you the with this, Ryan, because you're coming up against it. George Steinbrenner wasn't the only one who was onto something, and he got. I remember in the early in the mid '70s because he was one of a, one of maybe a couple of owners that were not afraid and openly came out and said, "I'll take the money out of my pocket to reinvest in this team and get the best players possible because I want to win." And how much of that now, from George Steinbrenner's philosophy, where people thought that he was, he was just, you know, a, a maniacal lunatic, how much of those philosophies now starting to be uh, repurposed, so to speak, and cleaned up and polished, but all boiled down to the same thing, when you just want to win? 100%. CJ DeSimone, this guy's voice, better sound familiar. Weapons hot every Sunday night, 7 Eastern, right there. Jets fans especially. I know you want to tune in now because you are fired up for the future. CJ, appreciate you calling in, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on, Ryan. It was a, it was a privilege, and this was a real treat to uh, come in and spend some time with you. Thank you again for yeah, having me Anytime. On. Hopefully you can do it again, man. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. The great CJ DeSimone. Weapons hot again every Saturday, oh, Sunday night, excuse me. 7 Eastern right here, exclusively, as you know, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So that's going to do it, at least for this issue of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate CJ for joining us a few minutes here. Really do appreciate Tyler Dunn for giving us a few minutes earlier to talk about and react to all the division round games in the NFL. Enjoy your Monday. Hopefully it is great. Hopefully your week is off to a great start with us. We will be back here on Thursday. So stay safe. Stay safe. We'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.